Welcome to the KPC Podcast. This week's message is from a special guest speaker. Uh, so it was February 22nd, 1980. The Cold War and the Soviet threat were a very, very real thing. The Soviets dominated ice hockey. They won 14 out of the last 16 international championships, gold in five out of the last six Olympics. In the first round of the 1980 Olympics, the Soviets won all five games. They outscored their opponents a whopping 51 goals to 11. Uh, That's averaging over 10 goals a game. For those of you who aren't familiar with ice hockey, the average amount of goals scored by both teams in a single game is a little bit under six. They beat Poland 8-1. to They beat Japan 16-0. to They beat the Netherlands 17-4. to That's a goal every three and a half minutes for an hour. They might have been the best team ever to be on the ice. The Soviets actually had just trounced the U.S. hockey team only two weeks prior to this game that they played. Uh, at an exhibition in Madison Square Garden, they crushed them 10-3. to They didn't just win. They destroyed teams. On the other side, the U.S. Olympic hockey team had done better than expected in the early round. They won four out of five. But no one expected them to win against the Soviets. They were unstoppable. The Soviets could not be beaten. But Mike Urizoni's goal halfway through the final period of the game set the stage for what Sports Illustrated will call the greatest moment in sports history. As the final seconds of the game ticked away, announcer Al Michaels would coin the famous phrase, do you believe in miracles? Yes. This game became famously known as the Miracle on Ice and was literally American college ice hockey players against Russian professional players. When the U.S. overcame the Soviets on the ice, it was more than just another hockey win, too. Some of you were around when this game happened, and so you know, you know the threat of the Cold War. President Carter personally called to congratulate the team on this win. This wasn't the win for the gold. Most people don't know that. This was a win to get to play the next game for the gold medal. President Carter did not call them after they won the gold medal. He called them after they beat the Soviets. There's been books, movies, countless interviews, all documenting the game and asking how could a team of college athletes thrown together only a few months earlier possibly beat this team of veteran all-stars. How can you overcome these odds? The world loves a good underdog story, and this is one of the best ones out there. So our key word today is overcome. You can bring up that next slide for me, please. Thanks. And uh, as we apply the concept of overcoming in our lives and to our church, not as a single event, but as a way of life, it goes from overcome to overcomer. It's a lot more about our identity in Christ as an overcomer. It's not just a word. It's not just an action. It's not something that we do one time and then we say, hey, look at what we did, and we go forward with that, always looking back to the past. No, it's always going through 
through life and through the situations in life looking for the next thing that the Lord will empower us to overcome. That's what it is to be an overcomer, constantly overcoming. Uh, let's look at John 16, 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Amen. Notice that Jesus told his disciples these things that in him they would have peace. In this world you will have trouble. It's not a promise, but it's a statement of fact. If I took a poll, every hand would go up. Who has trouble? We all have them, right? They come in all different forms. Sometimes we make our own trouble, right? As if we didn't have enough. The world will tell you that peace and trouble are exclusive. That you, if you have trouble, then you can't have peace. But the Word of God says in Philippians 4 that we should not worry about anything. Instead, we should pray about everything, telling God what you need and thanking Him for all He has done. Then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You need to know that Satan will do everything he can to keep you from experiencing the blessings and the love of God. But Jesus says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So for those of us who are in Jesus, our peace does not come from the removal of the troubles in our lives, but rather living joyfully and worry-free through the troubles in our lives. If you take a look at the second half of that verse, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus' entire ministry was marked by overcoming. From his temptation in the wilderness in Matthew 4 where he fasts for 40 days and in that weakened physical state, Satan comes and tempts him with everything that he has. But Jesus overcomes him with the word. Through all of his dealings with the Pharisees and Sadducees and finally by his death, resurrection, and ascension, Jesus overcame because he was an overcomer. Likewise, all of us who believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life, overcoming the shackles of sin and death because we have the blood of the Lamb on us. 1 John 5, 4 tells us that everyone born of God overcomes the world. Part of being adopted into God's family is you're adopted into the overcoming spirit of Christ Jesus. Jesus has, Jesus has already overcome the world. Now it's just a matter of us stepping into that victory in his name. We also have to remember that the act of overcoming means that we have to be engaged. It's not a spectator sport. James tells us that faith without works is dead. The reality of Christ in our lives should propel us to action. The Lord calls us from glory to glory, from great to greater. He's not interested in leading us down the path of least resistance, but on the path to the greatest victory. To overcome means to defeat, conquer, or prevail over. Jesus declared to his disciples that he had overcome the world, but he hadn't gone to the cross yet. Such was his confidence in his Father, his faith in his Father, 
and his love for us, that he knew the trouble to come, but more importantly, he knew the victory to come from it. And so for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and now he sits at the right hand of his Father in heaven, interceding for us. And so let us run the race with perseverance, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We could finish right there. Resting, thanks Mark, resting on the promises of God and trusting in his faithfulness, knowing that he has, that he will continue to overcome for us, that we fight from victory, not to it. But the reality is that a lot of us feel sidelined, injured, broken, hurt, and in need of healing. We feel passed over, forgotten, worthless, ashamed of who we've been, and that that old man or woman is still who we are now. We hear words like, therefore, now there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, but they're just words to us. We still carry the labels of the world and of our accuser. They place them on us, but we carry them. Tim Dormis from Life Church said that the problem with labels is the longer we wear them, the less they describe our past and the more they determine our future. And we begin to turn into the labels. We begin to accept them as part of who we are. We don't need to overcome sin and shame. Christ did that on the cross. And we just have to overcome our labels. And that's a choice that we need to make. Remember that Satan will do everything he can to take God's joy from you. But remember this too, that he who began a good work in you will carry on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 6.18, we are labeled as sons and daughters of God. Jesus overcame our old labels of sin and shame on the cross. And the Lord has given us a new name, says Isaiah 62. One that only you and the Lord will know, according to Revelation 2.17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. All things have become new. Consider for a moment the Japanese art of kintsugi. In Japanese, kintsugi means golden repair, and it involves repairing broken pottery by mending the areas of breakage with a lacquer dusted or mixed with powdered gold, silver, or platinum. The art form also has a philosophy that goes with it in which the breakage and the repair are treated as part of an object's history, not something to hide or disguise. The art form conveys that the piece is more beautiful for having been broken. It's important to note here that the beauty of the item is not that it is still broken, but that it was and now is restored. There is something so raw and pure about taking an object that is broken that by itself would now be worthless because of its broken state. But by repairing it with gold or some other precious metal, it now becomes a beautiful, purposeful work of art. You need to know today that this is what God wants for you and it's what he's done for you on the cross. Believe in the transforming, restorative power of God in your lives. 
He sees you, he values you, and he loves you. 2 Corinthians 4 says that we have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be made manifest in our lives. As we overcome these things in our lives, these labels, our faith grows stronger, allowing us to overcome more significant things. It also means that you will be tested with more significant things, but you will be able to endure. We see this in Revelation 12, 11. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Overcoming is shown here to be a two-step process, the blood of Christ on us and the testimony of Christ's work in our lives. And it is this that enables us to overcome the giants in our lives. It is in this act of overcoming that our faith in him grows. Our faith is like our spiritual muscles. You have to exercise your faith for it to grow. You have to put yourself out there. This happens by watching God work in you and through you, not to deliver you from your troubles. That happens sometimes. But the real victory is when he delivers you through your troubles. The troubles in your life should drive you to look to the Lord, not away from him. It is in the valley that we learn to look up to find our way out. David, who knew a thing or two about being an overcomer, recognized this same thing in Psalm 23 when he says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and staff comfort me. The rod represents God's protection and the staff his guidance and support. The promise is not to deliver you away from trouble, but to be with you through it, protecting you and guiding you. When David fought Goliath in 1 Samuel 17, we all know the outcome. But how many of you have taken the time to consider all the tests that David had to overcome before he ever even fought Goliath? We know that he was full of courage. He ran to the battle lines in verse 22, and then later he ran to battle Goliath in verse 48. But he also had to overcome his brothers who were accusing him and belittling him in verse 28. Did you know that before you can face the giants in your life, you will first have to overcome those who are supposed to love you and build you up, but instead they tear you down? If you depend on the people that you should be able to depend on, or if people are depending on you because they should depend on you, spouses, our children for those parents, right? brothers, sisters, if your dependence is wholly there and not founded in God, you're going to get let down. It's not necessarily an intentional thing. Sometimes it is. 
But our faith has to be in God. He's the only one who is faithful to the end. This test is particularly paralyzing because the wounds often come from those that we love and trust at times when we are particularly vulnerable, and so they cut and scar us deeply. They change the way that we enter into relationships with other people. Kids are marked by broken homes such that it changes the outcome of their lives. You need to know that before you face giants, those who are supposed to love you may fail you, hurt you, or abandon you. But you have to choose to walk in forgiveness to overcome in these situations. You might be thinking, but you don't know what they did to me. Or maybe you're waiting to forgive until they first confess to you their sin. I'm not saying what they did was right, but if you choose not to walk in forgiveness, you're choosing to drink a poison hoping that somebody else will die. You have to remember that forgiveness is what we are called to receive from Christ and give to each other regardless of our circumstances, regardless of whether we're sold out or not. Christ forgave those who were crucifying him while they were crucifying him. Those we love and trust might fail us, but God is always faithful to the very end. After this, David speaks with Saul in verse 32 and tells him that he will go and fight Goliath. And Saul, the leader and equipper of the army, discounts David, telling him he can't go fight because he's only a boy. And Goliath has been a warrior from his youth. Don't you know at times you will need to overcome those leaders that God has placed in positions of authority over you to guide you and equip you because instead they will attempt to sideline you. This is not permission to go out and disregard any leader uh, who doesn't agree with your opinion. I'm not saying you should try to overstep their authority or ignore them or try to bypass them. David didn't try to go around Saul or usurp his authority. He didn't even disobey him. Rather, he used that simple technique we just talked about. He gave Saul his testimony about how God delivered him time and time again through all of his battles and convinced Saul the same way that David himself was convinced of the fact that God would empower him to overcome Goliath just as he had overcome the bear, just as he had overcome the lion. It's the testimony that wins him over. If you don't feel empowered by your leadership today, I encourage you, build that testimony. Saul then places his equipment on David in verse 38, and David walks around in it, and he says, I'm not going to use this stuff. I'm not used to it. You see, Saul and the rest of the Israelite army were scared of Goliath because they thought that they had to fight Goliath on Goliath's terms. But that just wasn't the case. They weren't going to win going toe-to-toe with him, that's for sure. God had gifted David with every skill he needed to win before he ever showed up at the battlefield. He just had to do it God's way, not man's way. Don't you know that following the wisdom of man will cause you to lose a battle that the Lord has already equipped you to win? Did you guys hear that? 
You are already equipped to win every battle. The Lord has seen to it. You just got to walk in that. I was praying into that a little bit this morning, and the Lord showed me um, uh, the Israelites. You know, some of us uh, have, have an Egypt that we need to leave behind, and we've got a Jericho in front of us. God guided the Israelites through the wilderness with a cloud of fire, and with a cloud, cloud and fire, one side, one other. You know what I mean. And then when they crossed in, crossed in and they had the walled city of Jericho, these were nomads. They didn't have siege equipment. There's no way they can take down that city. And that city's the gateway to the whole promised land. Thankfully, Joshua listened to the word of God. Because God said, they've got walls, you've got feet. Go ahead and walk around that wall. They're not man, that's not man's wisdom, let me tell you. Because I, I don't know anybody else who has that battle plan. Don't you know that following the wisdom of man will cause you to lose a battle that the Lord has already given you a victory in? Just follow him. You see, a lot of times we try to defeat the sin in our lives by standing toe-to-toe with it, and then we end up surprised that we're still struggling, and we begin to lose faith, and we doubt God, and we doubt ourselves. Let me tell you, you cannot stand toe-to-toe with the law. You will be found wanting. The Word teaches us in Romans that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But it also says, But now by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. Though the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. When God is at work in your life, spiritual victories precede physical ones. David relied on the promises of God and the proven track record of God's deliverance in his life to take down fear, offense, doubt, and worldly wisdom long before he ever came out to the battlefield that day. We need to maturely face the troubles in our life, trusting in God for deliverance. God is not trying to change our circumstances. He is trying to change us. He is using our circumstances as a means to accomplish his will in us. When Peter sank into the waves, it was because he took his eyes off of Jesus and instead focused on the wind and the waves around him. Our failures are not from the the significance of the circumstances around us. They're from a lack of faith within us. Don't allow yourself to be sidelined by the fear of your circumstances. Have faith that Jesus has and will continue to overcome in your life. God is teaching you and me to overcome because overcoming is the hallmark of the Christian, just as it is the hallmark of Christ. Also, in case you uh, thought that wasn't enough, if you're fighting a battle right now that you can win by yourself, then you're probably not fighting the battle that you're called to fight. It might be easy and it might be safe, but it may just be that you're in the shallow end. God is calling you 
deeper. He wants you to trust him. And that requires that you step out in faith, that he will provide the victory. Because if he doesn't, then you have no chance of victory. He has equipped you for that victory, and he will see you through. Remember that God's blessing is always better than our striving. This is what Paul's talking about when he says, when I am weak, then I am strong, speaking about God working through him. But thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. power of God in our lives allows us to break down the spiritual walls that we've built up. These walls form strongholds in our lives and allow the enemy to have a place of power within us. doesn't belong there. He has to have our permission to get there. They are formed when we allow ourselves to be deceived by the lies of the devil and the world into believing, this is the labels, guys, into believing that we are someone other than who God says we are or that God is someone other than who he says he is. They are marked by fear, unforgiveness, and offense. They produce anger in place of peace, inaction in place of boldness, and judgment in place of forgiveness. Once those strongholds are built, the enemy uses them to distract us from the Lord's calling in our lives with fear, selfishness, and shaming accusations, and it leaves us weak and broken, feeling forgotten, alone, and incapable. It is for these very things that Christ went to the cross for us. Today, we break the chains of those lies. We tear down the walls of those strongholds. We expose the lies of the enemy, and we expel them from our land. We do this individually, and we do it corporately as a church. We do this by the forgiveness freely given to us by the blood of the Lamb and by the courage given us through our testimony in Christ. In Jesus' name, we face down those giants of fear, selfishness, and offense with grace, mercy, and forgiveness. And we declare victory in the name of Jesus. It is he who provides the way. It is his words that are true. And it is by his death that we have life and that we have it to the full. Amen. Amen. And finally... Some words of encouragement for you and for the church. Did you come here today feeling lonely or afraid? Feeling forgotten? Ashamed? Overcome by your situation? Have you been hurt or broken by someone that you love? Does your adoption by our Heavenly Father seem distant to you this morning or even completely absent? The Lord says, come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. 
and you have no money, come buy and eat. Come and buy without money and without cost. Like Delmar says after being baptized in the river, and oh brother, where art thou? Come on in, boys. The water's fine. Great movie, by the way. Embrace the spirit of understanding from the Lord. Speak the truth in love, growing up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. And Micah 6.8, know what the Lord requires of us, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. You see, understanding that what the Lord requires of us is what gives us that steady compass point so that we can always find our way home because we know what's right. Exercise your faith regularly. This is not just a mental exercise. This is also a physical action. Go where the Lord is telling you to go and do what the Lord is telling you to do. Then just sit back and watch what he does through you. That's how you build your testimony. Remember, it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And building on the word from Brent a couple weeks ago, Christ Jesus himself is the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. The Lord has not allowed troubles in your life to hurt you, but to shake you. He says in Hebrews 12, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase indicates the removal of things that are shaken in order that the kingdom that cannot be shaken, uh, in order that we can receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Therefore, let us be grateful and let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is an all-consuming fire. He is shaking us so that what remains in us will be unshakably for him. One morning, my wife felt urged to pray for our church. God showed her a picture of a candle, and the light was small and dim. And the Lord showed her that we were lacking fuel. She got down and she prayed for God to humble us and bring us back to our former beauty and glory. But God said, no. No. I want to do even more than that. I want her glory to burn even brighter. And he led her to Haggai too. My spirit remains among you, so do not be afraid. In just a little while, I will again shake the heavens and the earth. There's that word again. The oceans and the dry land. I will shake all the nations, and the treasures of all nations will be brought to this temple. I will fill this place with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The future glory of this temple will be greater than its past glory, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will bring peace. I, the Lord of hosts, have spoken.
See you guys. Thank you for listening to the KPC podcast. For more messages and information, visit kpc.org.